I think the biggest piece of advice is don't be afraid because if you're working out of passion and enthusiasm, then I think then people will pick up on that and people really need passion and enthusiasm and um, we all need a little bit of magic and if you're bringing a little bit of magic into what you're doing, then, then I don't think you can really go wrong. You're listening to the Sharing Insights Podcast, a show where we explore stories, strategies, and insights from ecologically and socially beneficial projects throughout Costa Rica. These stories provide landowners everywhere access to unique ideas to inspire better business models for greater success and impact. My name is Jason, and I'm a co-founder of one of these unique places. I've been visiting with other owners of impact centers to discuss the successes, challenges, and insights that they've earned along the way. Join me on the adventure. A more sustainable world awaits. So we've been making chocolate for about 10 years and when Peter bought the farm in 86, it was actually three small farms that he put together, two of which were cacao plantations and one of them was a pasture. This area that we're sitting in just now was the pasture. So our cacao actually starts just on this side of the creek and then goes for another a long way on the other side of the creek, uh, both up the creek and down the creek. So we've been making chocolate for about 10 years. And uh, at first we were making very typical chocolate for this area. We were the third chocolate maker in this region. And we were growing our cacao and fermenting it on site as almost everybody does. And then roasting it, making it into bars. And um, we have a large uh, raw food population here. And I was becoming more and more interested in working with raw food. I used to live in a community in Guanacaste that was 80% raw. Um, so I started with the idea of making a raw chocolate. So most of the chocolate that I make now is unroasted. And so it's quite different. I'm the only unroasted chocolate maker in the area and um, we really specialize in making chocolate that is very minimally processed. Uh, we ferment in micro batches so we try and keep the temperature as low as possible during our fermentation. Um, we usually ferment about 80 to 100 pods at a time so really very little compared to normal chocolate production. We work with our cacao and we also buy cacao from uh, a bribri farm in uh, Amubri. The bribris pass their land from mother to daughter. So we work with, we always work with women owned farms and women produce cacao. Bribris are in traditional production of cacao is women only. And so we try and honor that as much as possible um, here on the farm. Uh, so it's normally uh, women, we try and get it to be just women who are doing the picking and the fermenting, although we work with Archangel, who uh, is a Ruby guy that's been working with us for about eight, ten years, and his mother works with us, and one of his brothers work with us. So, And the farm that we buy our other cacao from is his grandmother's farm, so um, it's very much family-orientated, but we like to... Uh, 
I would like to work with more uh, Bribri women and their cacao because cacao is this am amazing substance in that it's uh, well fermented. And so every farm has its own particular flavor of cacao and batch to batch, the flavor changes too. And so my desire is to really create this chocolate that is completely unique in its time and place basically date and stamp it but not only in terms of the fermentation and the people who are there at the time and putting their own funk through their own bacteria and yeast on their skins into the cacao cacao is very sensual so we're putting all of that in but also working with the the stars with the moon cycle. I come out of this Waldorf uh, or anthroposophical mentality or our ideology. And so biodynamic is, is very close to my heart. And so working with the planets, working with the moon phases, working with um, the stars uh, and trying to create this chocolate that is that speaks to more than just somebody who wants a bar of chocolate, but really speaks to the incredible medicinal gifts that the cacao tree offers. And what I'd really like to get to is just creating medicine for chocolate. Chocolate is a fantastic delivery system for other medicines. And so create individual kilos for people, individual bars for people that are, you know, do a consultation. I have a background in, in herbal medicine too. And so just creating this um, substance that's going to feed them on a physical level, a nutritional level, on an emotional level, a spiritual level, and also uh, speak a little bit to the mythology too, you know, the mythology of, of chocolate, the mythology of working with the forest, the mythology of working with with the energy of, of basically other women as well and what we can um, create and what we can produce together. So I'm intrigued though with this idea. I mean, I know at my place we have cacao growing and I quite enjoy eating the raw cacao seeds uh, with the fruit on it and everything. Mm -hmm. But as a production decision, what is it about the raw cacao that you feel like you're adding to the product by not roasting it? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, so cacao is super high in antioxidant levels. It's one of the best antioxidant foods that you can put in your body. And antioxidants are destroyed by by heating and processing. And so the higher we can, uh, or the less process we can make it, and the lower the temperatures that we're working with, then the higher the antioxidant level. Once you ferment their beans, they don't grow. You kill the bean, you kill the germ. So it will never become a tree, it will never become a plant. So it's not a live food that we're working with. But the health values are just so much greater. So you ferment it. But you don't roast it. Yeah, we ferment it. We don't roast it. We also do an unfermented cacao that is a completely different animal. If you think about the cacao as, um, yeah, so I've just finished this three-day ceremonial cacao training. And so my mind, everything is full of cacao right now. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Lucky us. My ears, everything, my nose, everything. It's been, yeah, living on chocolate for the last three days. So the... The process of, of turning a cacao bean straight from the pod into a bar of chocolate is kind of alchemical. The fermentation, the traditional way to ferment was to bury it. So we're taking this bean, 
I, it's not a bean. We're taking a seed that is this potential for life and we're burying it in the earth. We're letting the microbes, the bacteria, the fungus, the molds, the yeasts, the insects, the lizards. We have a rat that lives in our cacao fermentation box from time to time. So it's very full-on life okay. in that cacao box. And so it goes through this burial, it goes through a sun drying and then a roasting. So it's going through earth processing, it's going through fire processing. When we grind it to make the chocolate, it's we're not turning it into dust because of the oil content in the beans, but we're we're grinding it into something that could get carried away on the air. And so grinding has always been associated with the air element. So we're taking it, it's already gone through the earth element, it's gone through the fire element, it goes through the air element, and then traditionally cacao was always drank, it was always taken as a drink. A chocolate bar originated in England in 1847. It's a recent invention. Right. It was always taken with water. And so the last step is adding it to water. So it goes through those alchemical processes one step at a time. So it's completely transformed. So a finished chocolate bar is not the same as the seed. And so the way that we see the cacao, cacao is always a feminine persona. And the cacao tree is 10 million year old species. It lives for 200 years. It creates a, an hijo. It creates a, a, the next generation from the same rootstock. So it's a space holder in the forest. It's oh. holding on to the same soil and working the same soil for generation after generation. A single cacao tree can live 200 years. Yeah. Wow. And so our cacao trees, which are about 140 years old just now, are the granddaughters or the grandsons of the original Spanish plantations that were here in the 1600s, the early 1600s. And so they have been holding the soil they're holding the space and the forest is developed around them. We have secondary growth forest, secondary, we don't have primary forest here, not in on the farm, behind the farm. And so these are, uh, you know, the cacao, the persona of the cacao is this crone. She's this ageless woman that is just there in the dark with these little five-pointed white and pink flowers really holding on. In the Mayan and the Aztec thinking or ideology or belief system, cacao was associated with death. It was associated with the South. And so it was this idea of the South is death, but it's also rebirth. In the typical drink, the cacao was mixed with corn. The cacao represented the feminine, it represented the darkness, it represented death. The cacao and it represented the moon. The corn represents the the sun, the masculine, the day, the light. And so the cacao and the corn were balanced in sacred water. So it was cacao, corn, and water that you drank. And the water had to come from the earth. It couldn't be water that came from the sky. And so this whole idea of of taking this thing, this substance into our bodies that was both true representation of the divine masculine and the divine feminine mixed with water, which is the life-giving force for everything, is really, is beautiful. It's really intense. And, you know, it's very far from a Hershey's bar. <laughs> right. And so what we've done to chocolate is just, it's really interesting. So to get back to that or to move again towards that is really interesting to me and is something that I would really 
love to delve more deeply into. There's so many, you know, we're just scratching the surface with what we can do with chocolate. Um, no, I love what you're saying. Like this is really, this is really important. It's an important thing for our generations right now to realize and remember. You know, when it comes to foods, herbs, substances that have altering properties to our biology. We're in a day and age where the microscope is king, but really to know the spirit of a natural medicine, you have to experience it. And our ancestors, these people you're talking about, I mean, of course, these mythologies of the feminine and the masculine and all of that, for some people might be pretty foreign. And they, they might be like, okay, what does that really mean? And I know it took me a long time in my life's journey hearing these comparisons. And, and I've come to a point to really appreciate the essence of balance that our ancestors in all really so many cultures were experimenting with and exploring and using story to describe and make relevant. And really what you're describing about these different types of foods and their synergistic properties and coming together and having holistic beneficial properties that were culturally not only enjoyed but important and yeah i, I just really want to acknowledge that and what you're saying you know there's there is honestly a part of me that wouldn't have understood that some time ago and i really appreciate that you are bringing those ancestral understandings and explorations and sentiments and tangible feelings and experiments, really scientific experiments on what these substances, these herbs, these medicines, these foods were doing and not necessarily relying on the, the critical uh, or the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, um, quantitative qualities of it, but rather the experiential qualities of it. And these are things that teachers like yourself are bringing back to this generation. You're, you're studying with these traditional people and you're bringing these traditions. And I think they're incredibly relevant to this industry that, you know, we, we have, the yin and the yang, the dark and the light to everything in our existence. And chocolate really has a dark side. We've got companies like Nestle that are, you know, just really committing crimes against humanity in the efforts they're making to produce a product. And most people on this planet unfortunately, really only know chocolate through Hershey's and Nestle and these types of sugary, hydrogenated oils, highly produced, hardly any cacao in it products. And then there's teachers like yourself uh, that are passing on those torches of contemplation. You know, these myths, are, I think, are very valid today and important for us to use as tools for contemplation to really feel 
what these are doing. I mean, really this cacao, this concoction that you made and, and served us when we got here, it was immensely restorative to me, this drink. You know, I came, I spent the whole day out on the farm here, walking the fruit forest in the hot sun with Peter, having interviews with him. I came here really exhausted. It was the end of the day. You were over here. You taught a long class to a bunch of people whose lives are definitely better for it from the looks on their faces. And you served us this this beverage that really it's more than I'm stimulated. I really feel restored and balanced. And it's I couldn't have gotten that by just eating a chocolate bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, I really appreciate the context that you're bringing in to what you're doing here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with these wisdoms that you've been, I mean, actually, I'll I'll ask you to kind of share some of your mentors, where you're getting some of your information from. And I'd also like to ask you, you know, I know you've been teaching hands-on classes, but I'd like to also go with this as to where you're pivoting today into, uh, you know, doing, increasing your outreach through online classes and things like this. Mm-hmm. But first let's start at the roots. Like who are, who are your teachers? Who have you, you know, practiced with and studied with? Oh, that's an awkward question. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. Because, um, okay. So I'm a, I'm a teacher by trade. So I'm, I like to learn. You can't be a teacher unless you want to learn. And I've been blessed with a lot of curiosity. So I get information from as many different sources as I can. So books are one thing. I like to read around subjects. And so I read a lot of books on archaeology. I read a lot of stories. I read a lot of fairy tales. I read a lot of mythology. When I first came to this side of Costa Rica, I was staying in a house that was right bang in the middle of an old cacao grove. And I asked everybody I knew, how do you ferment cacao? How do you make chocolate? And every single person said to me, oh, it's really easy. And then nothing. That was it. Oh, it's really easy. So I didn't know how to take, oh, it's really, it didn't tell me anything. And so it really was a case of I had a desk lamp and a Tupperware. And so I started just trying to see what I could ferment and learn a lot that way too. And then as I was making these mistakes and telling people like, I don't know how to do this. It's going wrong. It's getting moldy. It's it's just becoming wine. What am I doing? Then gradually people were like, oh yeah, okay, we'll come and see this and do this and do that. And I spend a lot of time in the woods you know, I'm in the, we live in the, in the middle of the forest, not in the middle of the forest, but we definitely live in the forest. It's a 10 minute walk to the house. You know, there's no road to the house. So, um, I'm surrounded by the trees all the time and I get the opportunity to do a lot of walking and thinking with the dogs in the morning through the forest. And so it's taken me, 10, 12 years to figure a lot of these things out. And like every day I'm learning something like this, this last three days, two really big parts of the puzzle just slotted together for me. And so, you know, by teaching you learn as well. And so there's so much to it, you know, so talking to everybody, talking to anybody and everybody about it, reading as much as I can, sitting with a tree. I do a lot of sitting with the cacao trees, I do a lot of meditation with cacao. I talk to the cacao, the spirit of cacao. I uh, have got this 
big tattoo in my arm that's cacao and so you know like just giving myself to the tree it sounds really cheesy but allowing myself surrendering like allowing myself to be open to learning from any and every source and then whittling through it because people especially Costa Ricans will tell you what they think you want to hear because they want to be friendly <laughs> And so whittling through that information and sorting it and yeah, just it's a long process. You know, like I've been a teacher for many years, but I really believe that the best way to learn is to apprentice yourself to somebody or mm -hmm. something. And so I feel like I've apprenticed myself to cacao and I've learned from all different aspects of, you know, the people who are working it, the people who are selling it, the people who are making it, people who are eating it. Um, learning a little bit from everybody and then a lot of guesswork which is actually now it's beginning to pay off a lot of experimentation yeah no that's great i mean hey that's the path of a culinary artist you know and that's the path of a mystic it's uh it sounds like a perfect balance yeah and what you were saying earlier about people knowing where their food comes from you know we do a lot of homesteading classes and we'll make coconut oil and we'll make different flowers from different root vegetables or starches. And it's amazing how many people, myself included, when I, the first time I made coconut oil and realized how much work it was and how much time it took and how little coconut oil I got <laughs> from that, that one coconut, it was, it blew me away. It was, I realized there was no such thing as fair trade oil. There was no way that we were paying anybody enough to make oil out mm. of anything mm. and so it's it's really wonderful it's really important to us those of us who work in this kitchen and, and bring these classes that um, people realize how much work it is to make food you know what it takes and also I really like to create situations where people are sitting around the table shelling beans or shelling cacao for example or creating food together because I think that that's completely lost we've completely and utterly lost touch with making food and community and so in anywhere in the world Again, it would be mostly women, multi-generational women or multi-generational groups of women that would be sitting around shelling beans all day or shucking corn or shelling cacao or preparing um, the starches to make into the flowers. And in that community where you're working with your hands, you're transforming. It's an alchemical process again. You're transforming something from something that's inedible into something that's going to sustain. But not only are you transforming with your hands, you're being transformed in the process. You know, you're talking and you're telling stories and you're sharing jokes and you're gossiping. And in the past, communities were tended to be small and tended to be very mixed. And so you might be sitting there and you might be having a really hard time with the son of the woman across from you and the brother of the woman beside you as a woman we have to process that verb we normally process things verbally and so you're telling stories you're telling stories of your life but you're telling stories once removed from your life so you know you might be telling a story akin to a Cinderella story or a Little Red Riding Hood story or a story, a fairy tale. You're creating this fairy tale that describes your life situation in such a way that it's disguised from everybody around you. So nobody can say, oh, yeah, you can't say that about him because he's my son. But um, it's a way for us to connect 
on so many levels, not just the physical level, but also this deep soul level through story and being heard and being seen. And we don't have that anymore. And I think if we did have that, we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in now, but we it's just gone. And so for me, it's really, it's, and it's also a very meditative process. You know, if you're doing something with your hands, especially if it's food related and it's repetitive and it takes a while and your breathing slows down and, you know, you, you've got kids and chickens and dogs milling all around you as well, then it's, it's extremely healing. It's really important. And so anytime that we can do that and we can get a group together, where they're doing that maybe for the first time in their lives. And then the stories come out. Oh, yeah, I used to hull strawberries with my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Or I remember my grandmother used to grow beans. Or, or you know, this is how my grandmother used to um, used to shell the rice or, or peel the peanuts too. And so we have this in us that, that we don't really have access to anymore, especially in the north. We don't have access to it. The global south, developing countries, sure. But... In the north, no, not so much. Yeah, it's important for us to keep perspective of. It's a, it's a part of the culture that, yeah, having been lost, there's no point of reference for it. Yeah. And so those that need it most don't even have really a perception of what it could be like to have it. Mm-hmm. It's like so many of the things that we're missing from our culture that kept us going for tens of thousands of years mm-hmm. as a species. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not even like a disconnect from our food. It's not like knowing, not knowing where your beans come from. I don't know. I know how cardamom grows, but I don't know how star anise grows, for example. So, you know, like there's, there's so many things that I, about my food that I don't know and I'm not in touch with. Yeah, so it's not even just about not knowing where your food comes from. It's just missing that huge element that gives us soul sustenance that actually comes along with making food. Yeah. Super important. There's a lot of traffic in that. It's, I know, huh? That's, okay, so the that's noise quite it's a so, thing. So Puerto Viejo is finally getting a sewage system. Uh huh. So the noise in the background is um, across from the kitchen here. We we're, So the kitchen is right at the edge of the farm. So we're on the edge. As a permaculturalist, you know, you know that the edge is really important. Absolutely. So we're an interface between the community and the forest. And we really are. We really try and be the interface between the wild and, and the neighborhood. Yeah. And so uh, right now our neighborhood is quite different because we have um, the sewage system that's going into Puerto Viejo has their, uh, the workers, the IEA, have their yard, like three houses down from us or three lots down from us and they have their kitchen right across the road from us which is really cool because we get all the food scraps from the kitchen so our ducks and our chickens are really fat now because they eat rice and beans every day (laughs) and our dogs are really happy because they get um chicharrones (laughs) and um, our compost system is pretty happening too so so you know it's really interesting being the receivers of other people's compost i really i really like it i would love for there to be you know we have there's a pig farmer that picks up compost from restaurants in town but it would be lovely to have like real community-based composting programs here especially because it composts so quickly 
So that's what that noise is. They're putting in a new sewage system. They're putting in a new sewage system. Not here. This is just where they're storing the machines. So 6 o'clock in the morning it starts, and then it goes to like 9 o'clock at night. Wow. Yeah, so that's life here. I mean, when yeah. you know, the name Finca La Isla intrigued me because I know it's an inland farm. And you described that there's actually two rivers that border the property, which make when it's rainy season actually makes an island, which is a really cool story. It makes the the name Finca La Isla all the, the make all the more sense. For me, when I first arrived, I was like, wow, it's an island of forest amidst this developed beach town. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there's also that element of it where uh, you've got all this development out here and a big tourist town and all this other stuff. And here you guys are holding down the forest, you know, yeah. planting it up, improving fertility, creating jobs in the neighborhood, creating social benefit for people through the farmer's market and whatever else you're in, you're involved with, with the Bribri, uh, indigenous people and so forth. So yeah, it's it's really interesting that you guys have this element of being uh, this sanctuary right on the edge of development. I'm sure that has its uh, pros and its cons. There's times at our farm, which is much more rural, where I sometimes wish we were closer to town, right? It would be more convenient to not have a 40-minute drive to town and it'd be easier on our cars and all this other stuff. And then, of course, this phenomenon is mm-hmm. part of the package. So, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's all things to consider when someone buys land and starts a project. Sure. You know, there's the pros and the cons, and it doesn't necessarily mean just because there's the cons of a development project that you don't buy land and do your best. Mm-hmm. It's like anything else, you know, some people deal with jaguars eating their chickens or mm-hmm. they deal with, you know, floods or high humidity or uh, odd altitudes for growing. We all have our our thing and our projects that makes it challenging. And it's a job, I guess, as permaculturalists to, you know, they say the, the problem is the solution. You mm-hmm. know? And for you guys, the problem is that you've got so many so much going on nearby, but it's also the solution because you are able to sustain yourselves Mm -hmm. and your lifestyle here in the sanctuary that you're all creating Mm -hmm. because you have this community so close that you're able to support who's able to support you. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's important to keep those things in mind and Mm -hmm. try to stay in grace with it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. We, um, most of our income comes from, from the farmer's market. Or for tourism, I mean, part of the farm is a botanical garden. And so that absolutely, utterly relies on tourism. And so it's really diversified. We have the botanical garden. We have a tree nursery. We have an ornamental nursery. We have the fruit farm. And then we have the chocolate. We do fermentation. Uh, We do a lot of classes, too. We sell duck meat and duck eggs as well. I sell birds. And so... We, um, yeah, it's a permaculture model. So, you know, you've got to be diversified. Um, we're doing online classes as well. So we are, um, I've written a couple of little guidebooks too. Uh, I work on retreats. I do storytelling, you know, so it's whatever. I mean, Costa Rica is this amazing country where you can basically be anything you want to be. If you put your mind to it, you can reinvent yourself as much as you have energy for the reinvention. 
And so it's this amazing, open, very young country where the nature is still really interested in us as a species. We haven't screwed everything up so far yet here. And so there's this like this amazing vitality and this amazing youthfulness in the country. And it makes anything possible. You've got to be really, really careful what you want here because you will manifest it. Absolutely and utterly, you've got to be extremely careful in your manifestation <laughs> because you're going to get it. Yeah, I speak from personal experience, <laughs> manifesting the wrong thing. <laughs> but good. Uh, yeah, so we really are relying on the community here. We work with a lot of uh, tourism and we we also, a lot of the people that are our clients are people who themselves are relying on tourists too and so there's definite seasons here uh christmas to easter is our main season and then there's a smaller season july august and so in, in a normal year may is a really dead time for the town and it doesn't affect us so much but it the lack of tourism doesn't affect us so much but the lack of tourism for our clients definitely affects us and so uh, while it's really lovely to not have so many people here and not be as busy, um, yeah, we're definitely our tourist town. So, um, yeah, I mean, when Peter bought the farm, there was nobody, this neighborhood didn't exist. And so he's seen an enormous change in the last 34 years. I can imagine. You know, there was one telephone in town and everybody lined up to use that telephone. And then the smartphones have come in since I've been here. The roads have been paved since I've been here. So the town is really changing. And um, the people are really changing too. You know, the people who are coming to this area, there's Puerto Viejo is, has so many retreat centers and so many um, body workers and you can get anything. You can get anything here. And some of that is good anything and some of it isn't so healthy anything. But um yeah, it's like a little a little city in the jungle. Yeah, no, it's developing fast. I haven't been here for probably about six years. And when I got here, I was just in awe at, at how much changed. But I'm sure listeners are feeling like that's the case wherever yeah, they're living. Are. This whole world has really been changing a lot in the last couple of decades. So speaking of change, you, you, I mean, I, when we arrived, you had a bunch of students here learning cacao and that was, uh, that was really cool to see their, their faces all lit up with, uh, the enthusiasm and I guess stimulation also of the experience, mm -hmm. but, uh, that obviously isn't, uh, as viable a business model as it once was to fully sustain your needs here. And you've gone online with your cacao classes mm -hmm. and that's an active service that you're offering right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about where someone could find that class and what is that class look like? What's, what's the model for that class? What do you teach? Okay. So we normally, with the chocolate, we do usually a three hour in-person class. And we've moved that online to a one-hour class, so it's a whistle-stop tour of chocolate. It's a really strange thing, but we are on Amazon have opened up online classes. Um, so we we were approached by Amazon last June, and I actually reported the people because I thought it was spam. 
hmm. for like the first month and then finally thought oh yeah this looks interesting so we're on amazon um we're also on airbnb online classes we do fermentation classes online too and our original idea was to do a class for children on chocolate and a class for adults on chocolate um but we are also, you know, we're pretty flexible and pretty fluid. And so people can also book classes through our um, website. It's talamancachocolate.online or .com will work too. Or approach us on that. And I've worked with people who are want to specialize in or who want to create a chocolate business themselves. And so I take on apprentices that um, that's something that can be done online too in, well, Parts of it can be done online and uh, or questions about, you know, somebody who's working with chocolate and wants to develop a particular style of chocolate or ask questions about the tempering or about the fermentation. We're pretty fluid in um, the way that we respond to people. So we do, we'd like to do other classes online too. It's just juggling everything. Things. No, it sounds like you guys are doing a lot. Yeah, we are doing a lot. We're pretty busy most days, which is great. It's great. Um, in fact, we've just started a volunteer and an apprentice program because we don't get enough time in the garden. <laughs> and we need a little bit of support and help with the garden work and with the animals. Um, that will allow us to concentrate more on classes, which will pay for the other programs that we want to bring in and do as well being uh sustainable or being being independent financially is really important so that we are able to um we're really able to walk our talk you know it's really important and also as a model too you know we want people to be able to feel that they can do this as well it's not rocket science rocket stove science it's rocket stove science yeah so uh yeah but online classes, in-person classes, we are starting to do more in-person classes again. That's great. It's been a confusing time. It's yeah. nice to drop in a little bit more to the the human interaction. That... But it's interesting, you know, because people who are coming in for in-person classes, we have the whole mask thing. Mm -hmm. And then we have the whole, you know, how do you greet somebody, especially if they're strangers and you're welcoming them into your space. It's really different, you know. It's a little bit more tense than it has been before. You know, we're kind of like not touching each other and where have you been who have you spoken to where have you spent time how long have you been in the country did you get tested before you come into the country and so it's this really it's weird especially for us here on the farm because we really are in a bubble mm -hmm. inside another bubble mm -hmm. and so it's very much this uh dance that we're doing with in-person classes which is really strange um the online classes, on the other hand, are very much more free because we don't have this physical interaction. And so there isn't that, you know, who have you been hanging out with? We had a big class in here, 16 people, about two weeks ago, uh, that we all started off wearing masks. And little by little, the masks started coming off. And um, it's really interesting, you know, some people, especially in, in areas like Puerto Viejo, where not everybody wants to wear a mask, not everybody is okay with COVID being a, 
a virus. People have other ideas about it. And so, you know, you don't want to offend anybody. It's a really interesting dance that we're doing just now. Yeah, no, I definitely see that here in Puerto Viejo. It's different than other parts of the country. Yeah. You know, on the trip over here, many of the regions of the country, people are wearing masks in the street, walking down the street. There's nobody w without a mask, even just outside. Mm -hmm. And here in Puerto Viejo, it's this fairly different reality yeah. and culture. And I don't really know the statistics of, you know, all of what's going on over here might be interesting to look into, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Nobody really knows. We're all just, uh, trying to do our best, I guess. Yeah. But it's, I think it is important for us to continue being humans, to continue mm -hmm. connecting, to continue opening our doors to sharing what we know, to, offering people experiences so that they can have life enhancing experiences to and we all know every listener on this program to this program knows that we're in these challenging times and uh we're all experimenting with this new norm or whatever and i think really the only option going forward for sustainability is to work on these hybrid models where mm -hmm. we're doing some online some live with caution mm -hmm. and you know life is a life is an art as much as as a science and mm -hmm. we got to just keep experimenting and asking ourselves deep questions and stay safe and mm -hmm. respect each other's wishes and points of view on things and and just navigate the mystery yeah mm -hmm. yeah so in closing here, Ansel, I'd like to ask you, do you have any closing bits of advice for somebody who owns land or wants to get land, wants to do something beneficial with it, maybe get into teaching some kind of value-added product class mm -hmm. or workshops and things like that, and they're just kind of getting started, are there any things that they might want to think about ahead of time before just jumping into it, or is just jumping into it your style? I think jumping into it is really important. Okay. <laughs> because, you know, if you jump, you might fall, you might bruise yourself a little bit. Maybe it wasn't the right direction to jump into, then you just jump into it again. Okay. Or jump into another place i think the biggest piece of advice is don't be afraid because if you're working out of passion and enthusiasm then i think then people will pick up on that and people really need passion and enthusiasm and um we all need a little bit of magic and if you're bringing a little bit of magic into what you're doing then then I don't think you can really go wrong. Yeah, you know, like maybe you maybe you want to do something that nobody else likes and you get joy out of that for a little while and then and then through I don't know, maybe you're selling iguana skin purses or something and nobody likes iguana skin purses and then you realize that the fasteners that you're making for your iguana skin purses are really popular and then that will take you into that direction. <laughs> <laughs> but um i think it, the most important thing is just to start be confident and starting just get started just get started go for it yeah yeah no there's there's plenty of wisdom in that for sure so for anyone who wants to include you in their start, either by taking an online class or coming to visit one day, or maybe even just contacting you for some advice or direction, how can they find you? 
we are um, chocolate is medicine on uh, Instagram and um, Facebook I don't really do uh, my name is Ansel Mitchell I am fairly easy to find on Facebook um, talamancachocolate.com or dot .online uh, we're about to change the website name for the farm so it's going to be Finkelaisla dot something okay whatever's available uh, we were Costa Rica organic farm dot com so that's changing uh but um so i think we're on google as well i think i'm on google okay i'm not sure well uh make sure when we put this live i'll, I'll get all the relevant okay, and up-to-date uh links in the show notes okay great yeah thank you yeah. All right, Ansel. I, it's the end of a very long day for both of us. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to share with us your insights and uh, your spirit. And I don't know. I look forward to seeing where the future brings us and uh, develop a relationship together on my next trip around the mountain. Come see where this is all going for you. Okay. And uh, yeah. Thanks for thanks for spending time. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for your patience. Um, it was pretty chaotic when you both came in this this afternoon, and we had to eat and we had to decompress. And yeah, so thank you, thank you for your patience with the noise and with the dogs and all sorts of stuff. And thank you, yeah, in general too. All right. <laughs>